The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line. Greetings. Hey, welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast, a very big one. In fact, this is the 200th episode. Did you hear what I just said? The 200th episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. Been going now for four years. The Business of Agriculture podcast is not only available at Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud, or wherever you get your audio uh, podcast. It's also available on YouTube. Go to the Damian Mason channel. Simply log on to YouTube, type in Damian Mason channel, and please hit subscribe while you're there. A big day because, again, 200th episode, and I've got a great show for you. We're going to talk all about seed. I have Greg Fonger, Eric West, and Tracy Harmon. They are with the uh, FS system. Uh, I'm coming to you from uh, Southern Illinois, East Central, I'm sorry, West Central Illinois, if you will. And we're going to be talking about the seed business, the seed industry, the evolution of it, what's happened, uh, the consolidation, the genetics, the amazing amounts of technology, and what the thing looks like moving forward. Are we going to just log on and buy our seed? Is it going to be delivered to us by drones? Are we going to use less of it per acre, more of it per acre? What is happening in the business of seed? Because remember, everything in agriculture starts with the base material, you know, soils, water, sunshine. But then you've got to put something in the ground to make it grow. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, let's start here with my girl, Tracy. Tracy Harmon. Tell us a little bit about your role, because you've been in the seed business for about five years prior to that crop protection, right? That's correct. So I am a field sales agronomist with Growmark. I cover 10 counties in the south central part of Illinois. So my role is to help um, the FS crop specialist um, learn about our seed and make good sales proposals to help growers be more profitable. Okay. So you were in crop protection and then you moved over to just seed about five, six years ago, you told me. Uh, and you're in your mid thirties. So this has been, you've been an ag, you were raised on a farm and then you came into this out of college and you have a master's degree in something, what, agronomy? Uh, yeah. Plant and soil science. Okay. So this is your thing and you're, and you're, uh, you're all about it. Eric, uh, real quickly, what do you do? I'm the senior product manager for Growmark Incorporated. So I'm just coming up on 20 years in the system. So, uh, it's about half that time. I was actually at the, uh, at the, uh, member company level as a crop specialist, um, and then, like I said, the other half have been uh, field sales agronomists and then going on the sixth year of product management. So. Product manager. Co- so just so that the person understands, because we're not going to, there's a bazillion brands, but there's less than there used to be. But you have an in-house brand and you have uh, corporate brands that you also deal with throughout your system. Tell us a little bit about that. Yep. So my direct responsibilities is being in control or managing our house brands. So when you think of our FS Envision, FS High Soy, FS Inspire Wheat uh, brand, and our FS Forge brand. So that's my team. Um, we, we control that. We select the products and what, what goes into those brands. At the same time, uh, we have system-supported partners. So uh, it'd be the Bear Camp with DeCalvin Asgro, and then also Syngenta with NK Corn and NK Beans. So really, when we're out and about, we're representing you know our house brands, but also those two companies as well. Got it. And then my man Greg, uh, machinery was in the machinery business, made a switch to seed. Tell us about your role here. So I'm the uh, sales and marketing manager for for Growmark Seed Division. Um, been in this role for about four years. Um, so sales and marketing, I've got all the, the field sales agronomists, um, 
report up through me and so we we cover uh there's 30 um fsas and so we're covering uh, prime you know what that word means not anybody in this knows what that means <laughs> fsas field sales agronomist basically if you think about it what most companies are, are used to would be a district sales manager there so we call ours fsas there you go vernacular um, so we're we're covering um illinois iowa wisconsin part of missouri part of south dakota um a little bit in indiana ohio uh, Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky. Okay, that's exactly why I wanted to make sure that we get this on. You know, on the Business of Agriculture podcast, we don't uh, we we don't get into uh, you, you know uh, uh, simple stuff. We try to be big stuff. You know, big picture business stuff. And we're not talking about uh, hey, I planted this seed here back in my backyard, which is a cool thing. We're talking big picture here. So that's why, dear listener and viewer, I thought this would be a great. Uh, lineup because we've got the 10 county level we've got the product and 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 seed brand level and we've got the overseeing the 14 states i think you just named right there something like that yeah okay so 14 states so um let's let's go back to uh let's go back to uh, eric for right now um brands let's talk about the basics there's less of them than there were when i was a kid but there's still plenty talk to me well, I think everybody in the seed business realizes there's a lot of competition, a lot of competitors. Um, if you go out and talk to growers, there's multiple growers will tell you, right, they can get hit on anywhere from three to six, seven different seed companies. They might only get caught on maybe one or two when it comes to crop nutrients, crop protection, but the seed business is competitive. Yes, there's been consolidation, but there's still a lot of regional brand companies to go along with the national brands. Yeah, so there's still plenty of seed, and you know, even when we talked about supply chain issues, like what was going on, uh, I, I know that some crop protection stuff. Maybe Tracy's a good example of this because she's with the boots on the ground right there. Did you have customers that were going without? Uh, you know, I heard that there's going to be maybe some crop protection chemicals that we just weren't going to get because of supply chain issues. That is correct. Yes, there were definitely supply chain issues with some specific herbicides. Did you have customers that went without? Not that I believe, but people had to make changes. Yeah, so they couldn't use the product that they wanted to use. They had to find some other thing that might work, kind of works, does work. Okay. Yep. Did anybody go without seed? No. Okay. So the point is, we, we maybe had some fungicide shortages, but there's no seed shortage is what I'm hearing. Correct. All right. Now answer me this. Isn't it pretty much, Tracy, all the same? I mean, let's face it. Different label on the bag, but what the hell? It's all just a bag of corn, am I right? Uh, that's incorrect. All right. Give me the scoop. <laughs> Tell me the difference. So there are... Um, we 100 years ago, we hybridized corn, and uh, we got really good at making corn. And then pretty much since then, it's just been coast, right? Like the stuff's pretty much the same. Not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. So there are some big differences um, in genetics and traits specifically. So when it comes to corn hybrids, you have uh, multiple trait packages that you can choose from and uh, definitely differences in genetics. So my friend that lives in Evanston, uh, Illinois, that uh, is my roommate in college, he, he keeps up with ag because of me, but he's going to be wondering what we're talking about right now. Let's just talk about what happens. A bag of seed today compared to even when I was uh, there on the dairy farm in the 1980s, uh, triple stack, quad stack. Explain what that means, because just pretend that we got a listener right here that yep. grows cranberries in Wisconsin. It's like, you know, I never got into soybeans and corn and wheat and hay. Tell me about that. 
Okay. So from the genetic side, it's pretty simple. That's just, you know, the, the features and benefits that come along with uh, the male and female plants. Um, on, the ge- on the trait side, however, um, that's where we start looking at integrating differences um, to specific herbicides so that um, the plant can tolerate applications of herbicides that are not natural as well as different insecticide traits. So it gives protection against specific insects that's already bred into the plant, which actually reduces the amount of insecticide use um, during that crop season. The average person uh, lives in the suburbs of uh, Phoenix, where I live half the year, says, oh, those awful GMOs. And I said, you know what that means. Explain what we're talking about using either corn with like a cutworm would be a good example about the genetic engineering we did and how it actually reduced our need to use that's side. Okay. So, yeah. Um, You're when, the one with the master's degree. I know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was a herbicide person, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. So, uh, years ago, we, we had issues with specific insects. You mentioned cut uh, rootworm. Excuse me. So, rootworm is a good example. And so, um, the best way to protect against rootworm was at planting. And so, um, you could either use insecticide at planting or we looked at altering the genetic makeup, um, inserting a specific trait into the, the hybrid so that it's naturally protected against um, against the insects, which reduces the need to use the actual insecticide. So when we talk about triple stack and quad stack and all that, what does that mean to the person that's like, man, this is a little bit intimidating, all these terminologies that we're talking about with corn. What's it mean? That's a good question. Perfect. because We'll give it to Greg because he's the salesperson. <laughs> all right. Tri- triple stack, quad stack. What are we talking about? So it's it's the number of uh, traits that are stacked on top of each other. So a a triple stack would have different traits for rootworms and then different traits for different above ground pests. So there's so there's three different traits stacked on top. So on we top bre- of each other. we genetically engineered that into, for instance, uh, a corn and 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 a kernel of corn, and now we use less pesticide because of those traits. Correct. Correct. Okay. So tell me. You've been selling this stuff, uh, you know, compared to when I was a kid. What's the difference? Besides well, those things, that's a big one. Productivity, yield, correct. price costs a hell of a lot more. It, it does. It does cost a lot somehow. more. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and please keep doing that. Uh-huh. Um, Bag of corn, so- <laughs> just because the person listening to this right now says, you know what, man, I'm, I, I don't really buy seed corn. So uh, how, much, uh, how much is a person out here in Illinois paying for a bag of your, uh, you know, just I know it's varying, but give me a number. So if you're talking uh, a, a double stack, which is only above ground pests, uh, probably in the neighborhood of uh, two seventy five a bag, and a bag of corn is going to cover roughly two point two, two point three acres. There you go, perfect. Um, and then if you're going fully traded with a with below ground to get yourself your rootworm protection as well, you're probably hundred bucks more than that, probably three fifty to three seventy five. Okay, three hundred fifty dollars, three hundred seventy five dollars to cover two point two acres. So doing the math, the uh, to plant a to plant a, a acre of corn, not counting diesel, thyme, insecticide, uh, or herbicide, or uh, any of those things, return on your equipment. You're still talking about a hundred and uh, $25 to $140 per acre just on seed. Yep, that's fair. Okay. All right. So, obviously, the stuff has to be good. Tell me the difference between now and when I was out there on that dairy farm toiling away in 1985. So, I think the the um, performance is the big thing. I mean, I don't know how, how far back you would look, but every year, the just the genetic rate of gain, we're about two and a half bushels 
probably a year improvement in yield. And that's on corn. Let's on talk corn. about soybeans. How, uh, many, uh, how much uh, we're grabbing another bushel per year on average on soybeans. If you look at the, the realizing there's going to be outliers. Yep, the trend line is probably going to be right around a bushel, maybe just a tick below a bushel on mm-hmm. on soybeans. Mm-hmm. You know, if I look at corn, and I was actually just talking to one of my college roommates today, and, you know, we grew up in, in central Illinois, good, deep soils, you know. Basically, you don't have to be a good farmer don't in have Illinois to be a good because farm. you've got amazing tops. So you can just, you know, throw it out the window and then go into the diner and talk about how hard you work. I mean, so, that's what you can do in central yeah, Illinois. Right? And what time you get up. Yeah, right. Uh, so so in central Illinois, in a lot of instances, yes, we got, we're, it's very forgiving soils. But where my college roommate lives now in in southeastern Illinois, it's not as forgiving. But he was just commenting, the performance now hybrids down there are making what hybrids make in the mid in good deep dark soils in central Illinois. Yeah. You can get two hundred and sixty two hundred and seventy bushel corn in not ideal environments where thirty years ago you were hoping for. 120 and that's a we're talking about product let's pass it over to eric because i think that's exactly right you know my ground in indiana let's say uh we're behind my house is is indiana average it's got some curve i mean meaning it's it ain't the greatest stuff but it ain't the worst stuff it's not full of rocks and it's not uh terribly shallow and we've tried to do the right things but it's got some sand in the topsoil horizon and it's uh, real tight in the subsoil horizon it's got some curve it's had some erosion that we've been fixed you know since i bought it but it still performs because of the technology and because of the stuff that's a very very good point that average ground now performs the way really good but really good ground performs better still but yeah we've we've brought we've brought we've brought average up because of the technology you attribute seed it's not about tillage it's not about better tractors it's not about uh, uh better gps's give it to me to eric well i think there's benefits to everything you just mentioned but there, there's no doubt uh when you look at the breeding right the breeding enhancements over the years the technology mm-hmm. um you, you think of all the the big um i call it the genetic originators in the industry um that genetic originators right the breeding techniques are using the technology the advanced a- analytics that they use you're you're gonna learn a lot um you know it used to take 10 years right 10 years at earliest to find out about a hybrid this technology is enhancing that yep. the nice thing is you're getting multiple looks um the way they're set up and the way they're doing environments and greenhouse everything else you're be able to put different environments in there so you're talking about those tough acres and getting performance that that's all attributed to really behind the scenes of the genetic gains we're seeing because of technology all right so uh the person that doesn't really understand how the seed works uh, since you're the product guy um south america uh these companies uh are doing stuff across the equator to make sure that then they're basically getting a season two seasons every season talk a little bit about what happens how we've made these amazing gains on the product yep well you talk about south america and south america has been absolutely critical in the seed business uh you look at that genetic gain and being able to i look at our brands being able to bring on new products um and we'll take an example a new technology extend flex trait technology in order to get that to the farm and show people the value right up year one flex trait technology yep all right what are we doing with that now? Well, that's that's uh, how we call it the sort of the triple stack of the bean water, right? That brings that's that soybean variety that brings tolerance to glyphosate, glufosinate, and dicamba. Okay, so we plant this seed, and then we can use those three herbicides uh, to, to go out there and spray the field. So why is that a benefit? Because the person says, "I don't know why they're spraying all that." What, what, why are we doing it that way? 
It's because uh, when Greg was talking about our geography, um, the big geography we have, there's many areas that have weed control issues, right? Some of them, you know, maybe the Roundup resistance, uh, they're having issues. Maybe it's, you know, on certain chemistries, it allows growers to have that flexibility. So if they want to go out in a certain area and they, they can get by with Liberty, glufosinate, and spray that, that's fine. Maybe some areas they need that dicamba. They need it as a burn-down opportunity, or they just need it as an early post-application to control like a palm or any of those hard-to-control weeds. So it gives really good flexibility for growers, and growers have choices on what herbicide program they want to apply over it. And to the person that says, but my neighbors in suburbia told me that those terrible GMOs just mean they're spraying chemicals on them. Are we using more chemicals on soybeans today than we did when I was a kid? I'd say for many factors, it'd still be less. Um, and I take that uh, when I started in the business, and I was down in actually Tracy's part of the world and a lot of conventional beans, and we were throwing five, six different chemistries yeah. on those acres. So now if we can go buy maybe two chemistries, you know, with a burn, good burn-down program and come back, it's, it'd be less chemistry now yeah, I've, than I've, what it was when I was I've, when I started 20 years ago. Sure, and I've pointed that out from uh, the time when I was a kid. We, we, the idea that somehow we're using, uh, it's ridiculous, we used a hell of a lot of stuff. And we yep. burned a lot of diesel. We used to drive over that ground a lot back then. Let's talk about, um, okay, we're talking about the product. We're talking about the geography. Let's talk about where you are. Tracy's out there covering 10 counties. She's got people. All right. I've got the internet. I got my cell phone, my smartphone. I can log on there and I can answer questions. Why do I need you to sell me seed? So the seed industry is pretty complex. Can I just go online and buy it, Tracy? Actually, you can now. Um, that that did become an option a few years ago. Um, we have not really. It kind of made a splash um, initially, but we really haven't seen that market segment grow. And I think one of the biggest the reasons market segment meaning online purchase of seed correct as it hasn't gone it didn't it, it's not become amazon correct we're not putting sears out of business not currently no okay so talk to me so i think one of the biggest reasons for that is um what i see locally in my area is that seed is still fairly relationship based meaning that the farmer purchasing the seed likes to know who he's purchasing it from mm -hmm. he likes to have the personal touch he likes to know that whoever is recommending the seed has his best interest in mind and so I think um, this concept of of just buying a bag of seed um, isn't isn't caught on yet. Um, and a, a big reason for that is because I think farmers still look for guidance. Um, there's a lot of options. I mean, we talked about several of the genetics and traits and all the different options out there. And I think that farmers really like to have a second opinion and have someone that's really working with them to make good decisions. But you're also making money off them selling that seed. So there's a challenge there uh, working with you. But also I make my living and pay for my uh, my uh, my kids dinner by selling you this bag of seed. So th is that is it get does it get touchy? Not typically. No. All right. Greg's the charge of the sales and marketing. So, Greg, I want you. I'm a farmer. I'm out here and I've got a couple thousand acres uh and you're going to come out here and you're going to sell me stuff what's your approach the stuff's everywhere there's a bunch of companies uh seems to me it's got to be a bit of a challenge um you know and i've been in sales uh so what are you going to come out and tell me what's what's going to be the difference so it, it's certainly a challenge and and there are tons of options out there and and Eric referenced it, but there's research that says that the average farmer has six seed companies calling on him on every year trying to sell him seed. But And, and Tracy touched on it a little bit, too. You know, one of the things that, that we pride ourselves on at, in the FS system is 
our crop specialists, our salesmen know a grower's farm in, in many instances just as well, if not better than that farmer, because they're making recommendations and in, in a lot of instances, variable rate fertilizer. So they know every acre, what's being applied to that acre. So they know where the good, uh, good management zones are within a field and the bad management zones are. They know the crop protection, the, the chemistry that's going to go on that acre. And then they can give a really good um, a proposal and, and give a, a good seed that's going to match up with everything that they've yeah. got going on there. Yeah. So your thinking is from the, from the standpoint of your company, you are crop protection and fertility. So you're saying, Hey man, we're already touching your acres. We're seeing it from the fertility side, from the crop protection and chemistry side. So we obviously have a pretty good leg up on this. We know what's happening and why don't you also entrust us with your seed side? So you kind of bring the package. Correct. Okay. Well, what if um, you were the sales and marketing manager for uh, another company that doesn't have that? Yeah. Well, well, and that's <laughs> yeah. That that's that's one of the things we battle. So so as much as we have the knowledge of that overall acre, yep. you've also got a lot of growers that are going to say, "Man, I'm giving you all the fertilizer and chemicals." I got the the guy down the road selling somebody else. I'm going to well, give him it, some business you know, too. Eggs in one basket is kind of sometimes a bad thing. I know that you'd like to say, "Here's the benefit of that," and then if I'm the farmer, say, "Man, I don't know. All my eggs are in one basket. Is there a, is there a negative to that? I don't know." So that would be why we have system supported brands, our national brands, so that all your eggs aren't in one basket. Uh -huh. So maybe it's the simplicity of having all your inputs coming from one supplier. But, you know, having additional brands, we've got flexibility in the genetic packages we offer, in the trait packages we offer. And so we can really tailor our, our recommendations to exactly what that grower wants to yeah, do. Yeah, you're, you're saying that one of your strengths is that you've got plenty of diversity. Uh, we can bring you this, we can bring you this. We got to that. Let's go talk about product, um, uh, Mr. Eric. Okay. I have been speaking at agricultural events for a long time, and I've worked with them in, in a consult consultative basis. I've even done some sales training and some, some things like that. My friend Joe Mershman, uh, who's not too far out of your geography, is a good regional brand. The Hubners um, occupy a lot of – they brand themselves as the Northeast, East Coast sort of stuff. They do a lot of dairies out like New York and Pennsylvania. So, I mean, I've got friendships and relationships. I've worked for all of the companies. Uh, I'm very fortunate, by the way. Thank you, dear listener and viewer – for being and and client, um, so I've been around the seat a lot, and um, I see it. Where does this go? I mean, there's there's four chemical companies now for the bigs, and then you've got your tier twos like your FMCs and your Valence, and so the the big six became the big four. Um, are we going to see more consolidation in seeds? Is it going to get to where there's four seed companies? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a that's a good question, right? Because I think no one can predict the future. Um, but as you look at the rest industry, there has been a lot of consolidations. I mean, you look what's happened in the chemical world. You look what's happened. I say, like you said, the big six going to big four. Um, those big four, right? Uh, three of the big four are very heavily involved in the genetics and breeding. And again, that's a, a lot of stuff filters from those three companies yeah. as you look at going and, down the breeding pipelines. And there's one chemical company that's pretty darn big. They're called BASF, and yep. they don't do seed. Yep. So then there was this sort of this rumor a few years ago, well, then what are they going to do? Just buy a bunch of seed companies, and then all of a sudden the four chemical companies also have the four big seed companies? Is that 
Something well, you hear that out there, right? Because if you think of that one, uh, BSF, uh, they, they have gotten the bean market a little bit, right? Uh, uh, with the with the, the Credenz brand and then their Extavio brand uh, on the E3s. So they've, they've got E3, this. E3, you're doing that vernacular thing. And remember, some of us are still <laughs> back here. We're still back here with Bassagram, okay? Yeah, yeah. So Enlist E3, which it brings tolerance to uh, glyphosate, glufosinate, and 2,4-D. So the big one, the 2,4-D part of that system. But they got involved with that, but I think the, 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 that corn brand, right? They're looking for that corn brand to, to be sort of match up with the other big three and, and having some brands out there. Um, but when you think of the consolidation, um, you know, all these different seed companies, there's a lot of regional. You know, we're regional in our house brands. We're a regional seed company, and there's a lot of regional seed brands out there. Yeah, um, and I've worked for a bunch of them, and I love them, and they're, and they're good. And they tend to have a real good, like, to your point, they have a pretty devote, devoted uh, and devout following. Uh, if you talk to some of these regional companies, you're like, you know what? We really like working with them, and they've got great products. Are their products great? They must be. I mean, they're still in business. I, I, are there any shitty companies still around? No, I think everybody, I think every seed company, right? Every seed company has some positive stories to say. That's why they're in business. If they weren't, they would be out of business. I says that the reality is, and we pride ourselves in our system, is what Grade was alluding to, right? It's our crop specialist. It's, uh, it's in, and Grade's talking about the value of our system. Tracy talked about the value of selling seed. It's relationship-based. Um, a lot of the success we have is those relationship crops specialists have with their growers. It's no different than some of those seed companies where they're successful, right? It really comes down to that salesman, that salesman's relationship with the growers and helping that grower uh, become more profitable. I like Tracy. She and I had a beer when I got here last night to this conference, and we talked about uh, the seed business. So, Tracy, take the mic. Um, I've got a relationship with you, let's say, um, and and I like your work ethic, and you obviously are smart, and you know about you know the difference between Puamo blunt, uh, uh, Puamo silt loam, and blunt uh, Miami whatever the soil map says. Uh, you you're a, you're a soil person, you get it. I have a relationship with you. You bring me out a product, and I say, you know, I got six bushels less per acre with your stuff than with the other guys. Now what? So I think we start to problem solve, figure out why that was. First of all, um, was it something related to the seed or was it some outlying factor? So a lot of times, you know, weather obviously is one of the biggest factors that we deal with. Um, and so we just work to try to figure out what happened and make sure we don't run into that scenario in the future. Okay, so everybody, you know, that uh, you drive down the road and you see these, uh, <clears throat> you see these uh, plots, plots out there with all the signs don't they all end up pretty much yielding the same uh no so no there are big differences in okay. those plots and then those plots then does that mean that the, the poor sucker that's like man something happened over here he's never gonna sell there again right so we, i always look for trends i mean me personally i try to put out enough plots that i get a good look at at all of the products and if i see something that's towards the bottom in all the plots, mm -hmm. then that one becomes maybe something that I focus less on, or I learn specifically where that hybrid will excel. Mm -hmm. um, and then I look for the products that do well across a, a wide area, and, and those seem to be the ones that get the best recommendations to the farmers. Let's talk about geography. Greg, you cover, uh, what did we say there, 14, 15, how many states, a lot of states. Um, big difference from one place to the next. What's the person in Delaware want that the person in Indiana or Southern Indiana, Illinois says, no, I don't want that. Any of that stuff. What's the difference between all these places? So I would say the, the biggest thing, that, and, and to be clear, just in the last year, we've picked up 
probably seven of those states that we're now dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so we've had expansion into the, the uh, East Coast, Mid-Atlantic. and From a and distribution Southeast. and retail standpoint. <clears throat> Correct. And then you're still taking your house brands there? <clears throat> yep, yep. And so that's one of the things that we learned is, you know, historically we've been an Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin company. And so we can really focus on bringing high-performing products that, yeah. that are going to blow the, the doors off anything from a yield perspective. Well, what we're learning as we go into the Virginias and the Carolinas, there's not necessarily real productive, a lot of real productive ground in those states, as productive as there is here. You mean in terms of number of acres or just the, just the percentage of it doesn't have the degree of productivity that we have here? Correct. And so the the field a bunch says, of average and below average acres there is what you're saying? A bunch, yes. If our listeners are from Virginia and the Carolinas, you're saying, screw you, pal! <laughs> so I'd, I'd give you the example. So when we first brought on those geographies, I, I talked to the field sales agronomist in Virginia, and I said, you know, here in the Midwest, we're, we're thinking about bringing on some tough acre products. I'm, I'm, do you have tough acres in, in your geography? He said, compared to Illinois, I'd say 75% of my geography is tough acres yeah, compared saying. to Illinois. There's a reason that when they do the crop report, they always talk about the I states, the I being Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, because, yeah, there's some acres in, in Virginia, but we talk about productivity here. We got the, So you're saying that you're selling a different kind of a product because you need something that performs on tough acres, as you called them. And, and that's where you're going to be ramping up a different kind of a product down there. Yep, yep. And so when we look at as one of the things we pride ourselves as a regional brand is we're going to have products for the Midwest. But as we move into those geographies, we're going to bring specific products that won't work in central Illinois. Right. But they work really well in in the, the central Carolinas or, or in the Virginias. Got it. Rapid fire here. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the future. Am I going to get bags of seed delivered to me via drone uh, five years from now? Probably if you want it delivered that way, somebody will probably do it. All right, pass the thing. We'll keep passing it. Eric, um, what thing is going to happen five years from now in the seed industry that nobody actually right now is thinking about or sees coming? I don't know if they'll see it's coming, but I think I think it's still going to be the the, the trait technology. Um, as you look you look five years out, I mean, there's a few traits. There's some we don't even know what's going to be on the horizon, but there's a lot of new traits coming out. Herbicide tolerant traits. You think about corn and beans. Uh, we know what's here today, but we know there's some new options coming. There's going to be more tolerances, more options on the herbicide. You know, factor will be on both corn and beans. Got it. So we're going to build in, we're going to breathe in, and genetically engineer in more tolerance to stuff, so we yep. can put the stuff in the ground and then fly over it with a spray coop, spray it, be done. Yep. Um, my girl Tracy. We just talked a lot about herbicides and insecticides. Organic has got still a lot of push. Regenerative has a lot of push. Tell me about organic and regenerative and how that changes the seed business because there is a growing push to be doing more cover crops, to be doing more regenerative practices, and the consumer, which drives everything that we do, even though a lot of ag people don't like to hear that, wants more organic stuff. Where does that take the seed business? So there are options out there currently, and... um I think that's going to put a lot of uh, a lot of us a little bit out of our comfort zone, um, Just because it's, it's a little different than what you've normally been doing. Correct. Most of the acres that correct. you see, every acre you see, I'm assuming, is conventional. Right. We've been focused on providing maximum yield and getting the most out of every acre, uh-huh. and the mindset has to shift a little bit um, to look at different production practices in order to make those things happen. Got it. So are we going to see more organic and regenerative type seed? Is, is there going to be a bag that's specific to that? Uh, yes, there has to be, especially on the organic side. They do have to be labeled organic 
Or is is your company going to have a, an option for me if I say I'm switching to organic? I'm going to spend the next three years getting the stuff off my farm to do that. I hope so. That's a question for Eric. Um, for Eric. But Eric. I do I do get questions every year. I mean, this this probably started within the last two years yeah. getting that question every year now. Okay, so I'm going to start transitioning my farm over to organic because I believe there's margins there. This year doesn't matter because the margins are good as is. But a lot of years I can make a lot more margin organic. So it's going to take me three years to get USDA approved. Are you going to have a bunch of products for me three years from now, Eric, if I want to be your customer? I think uh, that's something we're currently evaluating because, we, as we say to everything, if there's demand and there's a, a big enough demand, right, we'll, right, we'll look into it. If you think of um, our Envision brand, we do have some products out east. On the, so the Envision brand out east, uh, the product manager I work with out there, Mark Gutendorf, he does have some, you know, I think there's two or three varieties in our Envision brand that are organic certified. So they've been diving into that because out east in that New York area, because the consumers, a lot more demand and traceability on products, right? It's, so it's something we continue to evaluate and as anything, right? If there's enough demand, we'll, we'll definitely look very hard yeah. into getting involved in it. Nobody here has a moral issue or an opposition to any cropping system. It's all about doing what yep. what works and makes money, right? You bet. Let's pass it over to Greg. Greg, speaking of that, um, I am friends with uh, – uh, Mr. Hubner, who has uh, got the variety that is uh, a brand that is pretty big in that Northeast. And uh, he informed me that there's some legislation in New York about uh, seed treatments. Mm-hmm. People listening to this, tell them real quickly what seed treatments are, because they don't realize this is not just a bag of corn like you could throw in your bowl and eat it. It's got right. some stuff done to it, right? <laughs> yep. Tell us about that and then what you see happening in a regulatory environment that's going to change how you do what you do. Yep. So from a corn perspective, every bag of corn that you purchase is going to have some fungicides and an insecticide on there to protect that seed from when it's planted until it sprouts and it starts to grow and and in that early seedling uh, part of its life. And then from a soybean perspective, in in the Midwest here, I'd say probably somewhere around 80% of the, the soybeans that are planted are either going to have a fungicide or a fungicide and insecticide seed treatment on those. You know, and again, even on top of what Tracy talked about, about the traits uh, being able to to help with rootworms and things like that, this is also another step where we're not putting as many insecticides in for in the ground right. with, while we're planting. We can put a much lower load of chemistry on that seed mm-hmm. and still protect it instead of throwing a bunch in furrow. So I was told about a month or so ago that the state of New York decided, and it, how this even comes up, I don't know. Who who Who's in a, Albany at the state assembly and said, you know what really need to do? we got to make it so you can't put seed treatments on crops that go in the ground. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Have you heard about this, and what do you see happening? Yeah, so actually in Canada, um, they can't use uh, what's called neonicotinoid uh, seed treatments, so insecticides. Um, and, you know, there's talk in New York, uh, there's talk in California, uh, Oregon. So it's pretty much East Coast and West Coast. There's more of the, the talk about regulating those products. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to, to continue to, to battle through. We have to do a good job as an industry to show what I was just talking about, the the low, the amount of active ingredient that we can put on a seed is so much less than what you've got to put in the ground to protect that seed. And, and I get it, but you know what? You're talking about uh, a hysteric environmentalist lobby that is pushing this. So you're saying that the the treatments actually worked, but and, and they should be not be banned. But it sounds like we're up against the thing, so it's going to get banned. It, I think there's a very strong chance there w- the, that they will be, and 
you know, a lot of these chemical companies are looking at, at different chemistries. So getting away from the neonicotinoids so that we've got a different option. But, you know, if you think about the, the agriculture business, you know, I say it a lot, especially when things like this, one of the things I think we as an industry need to do better is be able to tell our story better. We always want to tell our story with science. And the other side is using emotion. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can tell he's been to my audience, can't you, dear listener and viewer? <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's reality. And, and I always say in, the, in a, the battle between emotion and science, emotion, emotion is undefeated world champion. There's no question. So are we going to see a complete change? I mean, is it going to happen fast? Like all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, it was only a few years ago we did this. Now we're not anymore. Is that what's going to happen to these products? I think it, it it's probably going to be slow at the beginning, but once they can get one product pulled, it's going to be a very rapid do yields uptick. Do yields suffer? Yes. Do we go for the first time ever of going backwards in terms of output per acre because of tools being taken out of our toolbox? I, I most certainly think so. I agree with that also. Right, we're going to wrap it up now. Last, that was supposed to be rapid fire, but he just took a long time with that <laughs> answer. All right, anything else that you need to cover that we did not talk about? Pass it over to Eric. Anything that I didn't ask, when you think about the future of the of the seed, because you know what? We're going to be putting the stuff in the ground. Uh, it's an expensive part of the thing. It's your business. Do you ever see a role where it gets to where we're spending less on seed because maybe we um, uh, invent something, perennial corn, where you don't have to plant it every year? Well, I like your I like your optimism there, but I think the reality is as you incorporate more benefits to the growers, that flexible we talked about earlier, right? More traits as more traits get incorporated in some of these products, and like I said, the more traits you get, probably the reality is it's going to be a little bit more pricey. Um, you think a wheat wheat's been pretty well standard, you know, conventional wheat. You get hybrid wheats on the horizon. You know, I'm sure hybrid wheat comes out. There's going to be a little additional cost on that, but. Between the new genetics, uh, the, the, the breeding, the research, the R&D is unreal. When you talk to some of those big big four, the big three really on the seed side, the R&D dollars are enormous to bring these new traits and these new genetics out. So with that uh, investment, right, I, I, I see the – I'm hoping it slows down a little bit, right? I hope it gets even. But I think with the new traits and technologies, it's, you're going to continue to see seeds probably keep increasing. Tracy, you're a 35-year-old woman, and so the person out here in these hallways at this conference that's 65 that thinks they've been there and done it, and they're kind of getting stuck. Dale, let's face it. You're you're a little more young, you're a little more vibrant. What do you see that uh, that the other people aren't seeing? Where this industry goes? What happens with seed? What happens with ag chemical? Everything, everything we talked about. You got some predictions? Hmm. Observations. I think that uh, even in my, I'm going to say short tenure, even though it hasn't really been that short, it's been astounding the way we've improved our yields. Um, you know, I started in this business. I'll say 15 years ago and, and where we've come from where we've been is, is just phenomenal. Uh, as far as moving forward, I mean, things are always changing and, and I'm not really great at predicting uh, the future, but I, you know, I think about that a lot, you know, and I've got a lot of years left in this business. So I, I, you know, I think about what will things look like in 20 years and I don't have a good answer. I guess not. You can't end a podcast on that, for God's sakes. All right, last question from my man Greg, since he's the one that got me lined up on all this. What do you? What did we not discuss? What did we not talk about? What thing did we not cover in this episode that you think we should when it comes to seed? You know, we talked about big picture and the consolidation, which you say is going to continue. And we got, you know, what else? So I, I think one of the things that, you know, not specific to corn and soybeans, but if you look at cover crops, 
I think cover crops are going to be huge in the next few years. Um, and, and we're, we're really supportive of that. I think it's really good. You know, if we can, I think if we can make a step towards that regenerative piece by using some more cover crops and maybe not have to jump completely in to, to, um, going organic, I think it's a really good step for the environment I, I and, agree and for our that, industry. I agree with that, that we do the best practice of all. Recovery cropping during the off-season protects our soil, puts nutrients back in in many ways that brings the nutrients up to the usable uh, uh, horizon. So I'd, I'd agree with that. So you think that your company is going to be selling, in addition to your normal corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, you're going to be seeing selling bags of cover crop seed. Absolutely. What's yeah, going to be in those bags? Uh, so it's going to vary by, by where you're at. You know, in Illinois, we're, we're looking at a lot of uh, oats and radish or, or rye, um, the turnips. You can't uh, sell this for $350 a bag. You no, know. no, uh, no. Okay. No, right. it's it's not going to be making a ton of money, yeah. uh, but it's going to be good for the environment. Soil, it's going to be good for the environment. I see it coming. Do you see it being regulated? Potentially, yeah. I, I, I think it's very likely. I do, too. All right, he's Greg Fonger, he's Eric West, she's Tracy Harmon. They're with the wonderful company FS, a client of mine where I'm speaking at their sales meetings, but also I wanted to bring them in because we got good um, coverage, if you will. Sales and marketing over about 14 states, product manager seeing stuff for the last 20 years, boots on the ground at 10 counties uh, in Illinois where she's actually at the, you know, where the seed hits the soil, if you will. So I thought it was a really good perspective. Thanks for being on here. Good answers, good outlook, good perspective, uh, good analysis. Um, and you only have one crappy answer. I mean, Tracy, that's not bad. I mean, you know, let's face it. If you have one bad acre, I mean, that's all right, right? You can still make a living that year. Anyway, I'm Damian Mason. This is episode number 200. Please share this around. Please take this and share it with your friends, your non-ag friends. Share all of them because over 200 episodes, we've had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of listens, which is fantastic. And I also want to thank my sponsor, Land Trust. Uh, you know, you're going to hear from them, but Land Trust being a sponsor, I really appreciate it. And if there's anything at all you want to see in the next 200 episodes send me a little note and say hey dame you've never covered this topic please bring on a guest that will talk about this because after all we're here to help you think about and succeed in the future of agriculture till next time i'm damian mason with the good people of fs thank you it's the business of agriculture thank you for tuning into the business of agriculture podcast sponsored by land trust Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities, and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com BOA are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.